Here we go again. We're back in our studies in Luke uh, after a little bit of a break. And another Sabbath controversy. It's the fourth one that Luke records in his gospel account of Jesus' ministry on earth. It was always a major point of contention with Jesus and the religious leaders. Uh, it was the Pharisees and law, uh, experts in the law's rules versus God's rules. Who was right? Did they interpret it right? So I ask a question, what did God say about keeping the Sabbath? Because they were accusing Jesus of doing something wrong. Well, we want, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's some verses there that just remind us that God said, keep the Sabbath. Keep it set apart. Keep it holy. You, nobody's supposed to work, but set that time aside to remember and worship God, to rest. Your servants, none of them are to work. None of your animals are to work. As a matter of fact, even foreigners, strangers, new people to your country, no, don't take advantage of them. They're not to work either. Rest. Set it apart to know me, to worship. So when Jesus healed the man with dropsy, with the fluids in his body swelling him up, and he was uncomfortable, was he breaking God's law? No. He was just doing God's will. He was showing mercy. Jesus is at a dinner table. Do you have good conversations at the dinner table? Sometimes they can get kind of heated. But at the dinner table, Jesus gives us four lessons here that are important. He talks about important spiritual issues here. Jesus wasn't in the friendliest environment. He was being closely watched. We're not always in the friendliest environment either. So what are we to do? So God's good commands are often misunderstood, they're twisted, they're marginalized. So what are we going to do when we find ourselves in not-so-easy moments? Well, we can watch Jesus in his not-so-easy moments, and we can learn how we're to react and to respond to help people get a clear picture. God the Spirit had Luke write down this fourth controversy, this dinner event, because he wants us to know about it so we can apply it to our lives. So there's four lessons at the dinner table. And what do we learn in these lessons? You got this? Are you listening? Okay. He teaches us about God's holy character, how relentless God is in pursuing lost people. Know God's righteousness how holy he is, how good he is, how merciful his nature is. Learn about your God. Be reminded in, from, the, from this account. And know his desire to go out and rescue people so they can enter God's kingdom. There's only one way to get into God's kingdom. It's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's believing that he is the Messiah, the one who came mercifully, mercifully and humbly, and he was generous in giving out his grace. That's the way our God is. Lessons at the dinner table. So let's get going. Lesson number one, a lesson on mercy. 
Here's the key idea on mercy. According to God, okay, not according to me, according to God, it's always a good day to show mercy. What were some of the Sabbath practices? Well, it was ordinary to invite guests to a dinner after Sabbath worship. The meal was prepared the day before. And the motive for inviting Jesus to this dinner, we're not totally sure, but we're, we're pretty sure that it wasn't totally friendly. They were watching Jesus closely. Why was this sick man there? We don't know why he was there. Was he invited? Was he invited so that he could maybe set up Jesus to see if Jesus could get in trouble? Or did he just show up hoping to have Jesus heal him to show him mercy? Dropsy is a condition, like I said, that where your body retains fluid. So you can imagine this man was very swollen. He was miserable. And many viewed it as a punishment from God for some grievous sin that he had done. And Jesus, understanding all these, this unfriendly environment, he asked a very pointed question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, here's what the Pharisees' law said. We know this from ancient writings. If you're not in death's, at death's doorstep, if you can survive the day, then wait till tomorrow for the healing. Put it off. If you're not going to die, then it's okay. It's better to wait. God's law never said that. Did you notice when Jesus asked the question, what did they say? That. Nothing. <laughs> and after, they, after he performed the miracle and the man was healed and he sent him off, what did they say? Nothing. What does that show us? Jesus asked them another pointed question, and they were speechless. If your son or an animal falls into a well, into a pit, are you going to leave it there until tomorrow? No, you're going to get it out. Why not heal this man who's miserable and suffering? Suffering. That would be what God would want. According to God's commands, it's always a good day to show mercy. When mercy is needed and you have the means to provide mercy, what are you to do? Show mercy. Provide mercy. That's God's way. And God says, Jesus is saying, make it your way. Make it our way together as a church. Never allow our human rules to hinder God's desire. Do you know what Micah 6.8 says? We talk about that verse every now and then. What does God demand of you? Do justice. Love, what? Mercy. And walk humbly with your God. First lesson. A lesson on mercy. According to God, it's always a good day to show mercy. I'd love to go back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 56, because people who had no hope, listen to what, what God says in, in Isaiah 56. Here's what the prophet said. Uh, let me start at verse 3 of the chapter. 
Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. The Lord God, it says in verse 8, who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. That's a mouthful. What was God saying? For everyone who thinks they're unworthy... They've been too bad to get my grace, to, to receive my grace. Here's the word. If you will commit yourself to love the things that I love, if you will trust in me and believe in me, God will touch you with his grace. And you will be a son and a daughter, and even better than that. Those of you who are far away from God, if you will just turn to him, you will become children of God. So, you followers of Jesus Christ, you who claim to love him, let's allow our lives to show off God's life-changing salvation and the difference that it makes in how we live. We know we don't earn God's favor by doing good works. We receive it first by believing we get God's favor by believing, by surrendering to him. But if we ignore doing mercy, or we make rules that excuse or limit our kindness, remember the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? What did the man ask before Jesus said that parable? Well, who's my neighbor? Do I have to love him? Do I have to like her and show her love? Who's my neighbor? He was trying to limit it, and, and, and Jesus' point was, no, anyone who needs mercy, that's who your neighbor is. If we don't care to know about God's ways, then it reveals how shallow, or even more serious, how fake our love is for God if we are unwilling to show mercy like God has shown mercy to us. Am I growing in words and actions that show that God is worth believing and trusting and what his coming kingdom is like? Is that a growing concern of mine, to love mercy and to do justice, to love holy righteousness and grow and be concerned about the things that God is concerned about? Let me hammer this point just a little bit more. Sin is deeply rooted in our hearts. And that's why these repeated Sabbath controversies kept happening, because sin was rooted deeply in the Pharisees and the people of Israel's hearts. And we might get tired about reading about another Sabbath controversy, but don't miss the point. 
We are not as kind and merciful as we would like others to believe. We can only be kind and merciful the way God is kind and merciful by the gift of grace that we receive through the Holy Spirit of God when we believe Jesus is the Christ. I get tired of giving mercy. I get tired of being kind. But God does not, so I need his strength to help me to love and to care and to be merciful, to know how to invest in people who might not even like me the way they were looking at Jesus. Jesus was being watched closely, and so were we. <laughs> Jesus never messed up, but we do. But <laughs> by God's grace, we can be good lights, good examples to the world. The world's watching. Sometimes they're watching to trap us, to, to ridicule us, even to hurt us. But some are watching to see if what we say about Jesus is true. So use God's grace to grow in mercy. Let me just ask you a, a homework question, okay? You got homework from church today. How has God been merciful to you? Ponder that a little bit, and then share and give thanks to God for how he's been merciful when you think of your list, and then share it with someone else. A lesson on mercy. We need to be making progress in that. Secondly, a lesson on humility. Here's the key idea. Be humble before people and God. Be humble in people's presence. It says in the text, now, he told a parable in verse 7 to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And then Jesus went on to say, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor, but sit down in the lower seat. Be humble in Jesus' presence. Did you know Jesus had said those, those a similar words a long time ago in the book of Proverbs. The Holy Spirit wrote it down to Sol through Solomon. Listen to what Jesus said in Proverbs chapter 25, years and years before. Verses 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Exact same message. Jesus had spoken it years before. We got a buzz. <laughs> okay. Be humble before people and God. And don't sit in a lower seat as a ploy to be moved up. Because God can see your heart if you're faking a false, if you're being a falsely humble. Don't even try to fool God. This is to be a maturing attitude of our mind and souls. In Romans chapter 12, we're told to not to judge ourselves and not to think more highly of ourselves, but to consider others more important than ourselves. We are to be humble in people's presence and in God's presence. In James chapter 4, James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he says it again, humble yourselves before the Lord, and what will he do? He 
will exalt you. Consider Jesus Christ. Mark, you're going to try and fix that. Yeah, keep going. Okay, I will. Ignore that man. Listen to me. In Philippians chapter 2, a classic example. Jesus humbling himself. In verses 1 through 4, Paul the Apostle writes about challenging the Christians in, in Philippi to be selfless. Consider others more important than yourself, more significant than yourself. And then in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2, Paul talks about Jesus' example, how he emptied himself. Here's God who came to earth, he emptied himself, put aside his glory, and he served other people. He served those who hated him. He served those who loved him. He served the outcast. He served those who couldn't care about God. He loved them. He cared for them. Consider Jesus Christ and follow his example. And we can do it by the grace of God. It talks about that in verse 13 of Philippians 2. This is a work of God that he's working in you who believe. So there's these lessons at the dinner table. There's a command to be merciful because God is merciful. There's a command to be humble and selfless like Jesus. And he redeemed us. He empowered us, enabled us to grow in humility and selflessness. And then thirdly, a lesson on generosity. We didn't read those verses, but let's look at verses 12. And he said to the man who had invited him. So Jesus turns from speaking to all the guests who he noticed picked the, the higher seats around the table. Now he speaks to the host. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Key idea here is be generous like your God and Savior. Be generous to the powerless. No, it's not wrong to be generous to your family and your best friends. That's good and normal behavior. Think about Mary and Martha's home. They invited their friends. They invited Jesus. They treated him well there. They were generous with Jesus. But here's what Jesus is saying. Don't think you're especially godly if you're only generous with people you like. Don't think you're especially godly if you only invite people who can reciprocate, who can give back to what you've given to them. True generosity is giving happily and freely to those you know can't return the favor in like manner. Maybe you'll never get anything back. That's being generous. Why is that being generous? Because that's what God did for you and me. What did Christ, who did Christ die for? Sinners. The weak. Those who couldn't save themselves. He came and he suffered in our place. His grace is generous. In the book, I should say, in the letter to the Ephesians, there's so many amazing verses that remind us of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
So if you have every spiritual blessing that's available, what has God held back from you? Nothing. You have everything that you do not deserve, but God graciously, generously gives it to you. Blessed us in the heavenly realms because of our faith in Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and that not of yourselves. Ephesians chapter 2. So God is unchanging. He's consistent. He's always generous. Jesus died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5. We were weak. He died for us when we were sinners. And we are to imitate Jesus. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Generous. That's our God, a lesson on generosity. It's important for us to remember that when we're living our life in the everyday because we're going to be living among people who like us and then we're going to be living among people who don't like us. And who are we to be generous to? To all people the way God has been generous and merciful and humbly came serving us. That's a tall order. We're to be growing followers of Christ in godliness. It's exhibited by showing more of Christ's character over time. It's a work of God's grace, but I have to be a part, actively participating in it. All right, lessons at the dinner table. A lesson on mercy. A lesson on humility and selflessness like Jesus. A lesson on being generous to, like God, to his ungodly enemies. God saved us to be generous to others. Fourth lesson, a lesson on salvation. Would you turn with me if you're not there already? Let's read the rest uh, down from verse 15 to verse 24, because this is a story, a parable. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, that is Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at, that and at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that, they, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. A great banquet. Invitations are sent out. Many are invited. And there's three lame excuses given. And I think this is just a taste because the many were invited and many didn't come. 
So many other excuses were made, but this is just a sampling. They were poor excuses. It shows their lack of love for God because they didn't care to come to this great banquet. It's a picture of God's invitation to his kingdom banquet. It's a picture of the people of Israel, the chosen people. Many were invited, it says in verse 16, but they all alike began to make excuses. They have this privileged position, like you have and I have this privileged position to sit under and hear the word of God, to know the truth and the gospel, and yet we don't take so many do not receive the invitation to come and to serve and to love God and to follow him. Privileged position. It's interesting. The man said, blessed is everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. These people, these people at this dinner were assuming that they were going to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is challenging their assumptions and saying, wait a minute. But he said to them, if you don't love the bread of life, that's Jesus, then you will not be eating bread in the kingdom of God with Jesus. Jesus is the way to the kingdom. So we take the parable and we apply it to real living. Jesus' invitation to eternal life is to the Jews first, but then it's to all the world. And God, we see here in this story, isn't content with an empty banquet. Well, if they don't come, it'll just mean more for whoever does come. He doesn't let it sit that way. He invites other people. He's not satisfied. God is not satisfied with small results. And neither should we be content with small results. If these people won't respond to the invitation, then go to others who will. Keep going out. Heaven will not be sparsely populated. Let me just ask you this today. You have an invitation. Have you come to the banquet? And will you go out and invite others to join you? These Jewish men, Pharisees and experts in the law, thought that they were in and they weren't. Don't rely on your heritage, your religious tradition. What does John say in his gospel, verse, chapter 1, verse 12? But to all who received him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not because of their blood, not because of the will of their flesh, nor the will of someone else, like their parents, but born of God. Don't ignore God's invitation. Surrender your life to him. There's an urgency here. It's not a wise trade to love the world and miss God's kingdom, to love the treasures of earth more than God. It's a foolish trade-off. Why do humans hesitate to believe in God's invitation? It shows how little we understand what's truly valuable. I go back to Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet Isaiah. Listen to this invitation. It, it's so similar 
to what Jesus says later in the New Testament. Isaiah 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me here, that your soul may live. It's almost like the parable, isn't it? The master sending out the servant and just invite everyone, the poor, those who can't afford it, they can get it for free. Come, come to my banquet. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The invitation is there. Jesus nourishes us with its truth. He gives us the life-giving spirit. He lets us be citizens of his never-ending kingdom. He alone satisfies. You and I can walk in a relationship with God. That's an amazing thing, to think that God would want to hang out with me. We're going to look at some very difficult verses next week. Look at verse 27. It's just one of three. Luke 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. True disciples hear, they believe, and they follow Jesus at any cost. They hear the invitation to come to the banquet. It's a choice to go or not. It's got to be made. And sin is rooted deeply in us, and it's always grabbing at us and would try to pull us away from hearing the truth. Is Jesus speaking the truth, or is he lying? He's inviting the weary and the heavenly burden to come to him. Can he be trusted? What do you say? What do you say? Life in Christ wins. In the end, we are conquerors because he came and conquered sin and death for us. He came and suffered on the cross because of his mercy, because he was willing to be humble and serve others and make us more important than himself. He came to be generous with us so that we could experience the kingdom bounty and live forever with him. So what am I going to do with this truth? <laughs> am I going to keep it to myself? Am I going to assume it's mine? Or am I going to believe and follow? Or am I going to invite others to God's banquet? You know someone who needs an invitation to come and meet Jesus, to see how powerfully life-transforming Jesus' salvation is that moves sinners to be godly people. Four lessons at the dinner table. 
Jesus teaches us about God's character, how great God's mercy is, how great God is and yet humble and willing to serve his enemies, how generous he is that he comes and gives us all that he has. He shares it with us. A lesson on salvation. Come to his banquet and receive eternal life. Accept God's invitation. Come and pray. Come and speak to someone today if you're not sure if you've been invited or how to be come to the banquet. God is giving you your invitation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are a good shepherd. And I pray that you would help every heart here today to see and to understand and believe it's true. To believe without reservation <laughs> that following you is worth any cost. That you will change us so that your glory can be seen. Lord, I would ask you that you would show off your glory through us even this week. In these weak clay vessels, use us to show, to speak, to declare your glory, the glories of your great salvation wherever we go, and all for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.